Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On this week's show, I have Aaron Lowry, who's the founder and CEO of Ethernode, an Ethereum node-hosted service provider, which we'll get into in the detail. Also, I'll be talking about the recent news of millions of Facebook records being stored inadvertently on Amazon cloud services like AWS. And we'll also end with the pivot, so don't go away. First up in tech news this week, the Federal Trade Commission fined Office Depot for $25 million for bogus virus scans. So at the height of services between 2009 and 2016, when you got an alert that you may have been a victim of malware, if you actually brought your computer into Office Depot to get scanned, oftentimes they were guilty of telling you that you did in fact have malware on your machine, even if it didn't and would then charge you up to $300 to have it fixed. The FTC didn't take too kindly of that. They fined them $25 million. They also fined support.com, a outsourced customer service site that Office Depot uses, $10 million for participating in this scam. Mark Zuckerberg actually wrote an op-ed this past weekend calling for more government regulation. I bring this up because often on our show, we talk about how regulation is becoming more and more prevalent towards technology companies, regardless if you're in financial services, healthcare, automotive, etc. What was really interesting about Zuckerberg's call for more government regulation is that, of course, this would mean that only large companies could actually withstand the onslaught of government regulations, smaller companies would have to figure out what to do in order to comply. China talked about this week how they now have artificial intelligence that is being used in their version of Club Fed, so their high-end prison for very famous criminals and celebrities. And this artificial intelligence platform is proclaimed to be impossible for to evade because it takes into account um, beyond a person's facial characteristics. It takes into account their, their gait, the way they walk, the way they sleep. And also the system is needed because there's allegations that these very wealthy prisoners can often bribe the security guards. And so this artificial intelligence can also tell or perceive to know when there's an attempted bribe. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. The last information is that Bloomberg had a very long and detailed investigation of YouTube. And it appears that YouTube, as it was trying to uh, change their business model into more of an engagement platform, which is why someone like Alex Jones could be one of the highest paid uh, channels before they actually took the content away, they were saying that the YouTube executives were at odds of how to actually uh, knowing that there's fake news and there's these other types of um, content, how they can continue to monetize without destroying their platform. And there's going to be much more information I'll provide on the YouTube situation in coming weeks.
And that's the news of the week. Hey, insiders, welcome back. Once again, I have the founder and CEO of Ethernode, Aaron Lowry, on today. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Keith. So for today's show, it is going to get a bit technical, but I think it's going to be very interesting because we have Aaron, who comes from a very diverse background, doing all kinds of things um, growing up, uh, being one of nine children, and then learning these skills and applying it to what originally wasn't a technical concept to actually a highly technical startup today. So let's begin, Aaron, with some of the the highlights of your experience that led you to Ethernode. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'll try to stick to the the really salient ones. Um, I was, like you you mentioned, um, oldest of nine kids, grew up in the mountains in western Colorado, and um, from a lot of entrepreneurial background, my parents, grandparents, um, all entrepreneurs. And so uh, have that kind of baked into me fairly deep, I guess. But um, developed, like you said, kind of a lot of different uh, far-ranging skills through a number of different industries, um, from construction to uh, uh, transportation and... Vintage auto- cars. And vintage cars, yeah. So um, long-time uh, automotive hobbyist, that ended up becoming uh, a, a pretty uh, a pretty interesting career for me for a number of years. And you somehow ended up working with Adam Carolla. Yeah, it, and it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Adam has a an extensive collection of vintage Datsun and Nissan uh, race cars, amongst a few others, um, and a real prominent con- collection of the the cars that Paul Newman drove when he was <laughs> when he was racing. And so um, I got an opportunity working with a shop in Southern California that was doing um, a bunch of restoration on his vehicles to to be actively involved in those and and uh, um, do some some track and race support Very for cool. that as well. So what I want to do is because at the end of the show we always do the pivot and we talk about how people and companies make changes. Let's let's save the stories regarding Adam Vintage Cars and and your own personal journey to, to the end of the show. But I wanted to actually focus now on your, your, your current project, Ethernode, and what that's all about. You bet. Um, Ethernode is our... So what we're trying to accomplish at Ethernode is, is hardware and software solutions to help connect people to blockchain networks um, and do so in a way that really extends the, the uh, trust-minimized benefits of these networks directly in uh, to the individual and um, also give people a way to take advantage of a lot of the uh, the network uh, the inherent network benefits and and uh, functions that they're not able to utilize when they're sort of reliant on third parties for a connection to these networks yeah I'm glad you bring that up because uh, a personal passion of mine for uh, a longtime listeners is this concept of that, um, first party is things that you have control over. Third party are things that your vendors, your services. And so I'm going to take a step back just a little bit that oftentimes people think whenever we bring up blockchain, uh, people's first thoughts are Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Ethereum as a cryptocurrency. And we're not talking about that today. We're talking about the actual underpinnings of that technology the cryptographic algorithms have been out there for over 40 years. The government's been using it. Bitcoin was just a representation in a white paper in, in execution of this in a, a new way of um, 
compiling different technologies. Yeah, really. and, and data provenance. And so uh, for the concept of Ethernode, what I really liked about it when we, when we met was that you're applying the blockchain technology to transform industries and solutions that um, that need that. And so um, I'll bring up IoT, Internet of Things. We get into a lot about how insecure IoT is. People don't realize that whether they're bringing home their first Wi-Fi, there's a default password on it, a default user ID, or um, even their thermostat, where we've talked about casinos that have gotten hacked uh, for lots of data through their thermostat, they didn't even think about it being enabled Wi-Fi. Your company is coming up with new ways of tackling things like data privacy and security. Correct. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's you know, IoT is a great example of this. Um, just so many threat vectors that are you know difficult to address in the way that, that the uh, traditional IoT network systems work. And I'm going to pause you right there because that's going to be a, a really interesting hook for people to learn more about what we're talking about in our next segment, which is why this is an important technology. So speaking with Aaron Lowry, the founder and CEO of Ethernode, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, email us at info at svn.biz. We'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with the founder and CEO of Ethernode, Aaron Lowry. Welcome again. Thanks again, Keith. So in the last segment, we talked a little bit building up to um, applications for blockchain technologies beyond the concept of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And before I get into that, I wanted to just touch a little bit more about why this is important. Um, I've I've spoken about it for years that I got into blockchain because I saw the promise of the technology the cryptocurrency aspect wasn't so important to me, and I, I didn't worry about the ebb and flow about these massive Bitcoin valuations. So people still have it in their minds because that's all they hear about in the news. But blockchain becomes really important for um, technology, and that's uh, where we'll start to get into it in just a second. So question of the week. In today's show, I'm going to be talking about a little bit later uh, about a Facebook breach, well, not a breach, actually. Uh, recently, it came to light that um, even though Facebook is tightening up their policies around data, they have all these third parties, which we talked about earlier, Aaron, all these third parties that had access to that data before these new policies that Facebook enacted. Uh, a lot of those companies are not remediating the data they already had or even securing it. In, in one case, a, uh, a Mexican data company has 540 million Facebook profiles out in the open of AWS. And that was uh, news that I've talked about. So the question is, what is the value of personal data that people don't really think about? I think it's it's almost infinite and difficult to quant or quantify. Um, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about user data is that um, once you've compiled it and you've sort of categorized it, you can pretty much query it ad nauseum as long as you can come up with a new reason to query it and, and new parameters um, to throw at it. So, you know, in, in these situations where you have an exposure of data and it's um, cumulative over years and years and years, you provide um, 
really robust profiles for for all different kinds of monetization. And like you said before, uh, frequently this is done um, either without your direct knowledge or or even through third or fourth parties that you know are undisclosed or 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 virtually obscured. So, I mean, that's a it's difficult to again kind of quantify the value. Um, when you look at the fact that it doesn't have kind of an end of life. Yeah, I, I would I would say that differently as well. So the value is that there are implications that you don't even know about yet. And where I think uh, people are becoming um, aware and, you know, the term woke, they're, they're becoming woke about their personal data is that it's being used by somebody, it's being sold by somebody to get a reaction, usually in, in a commercial sense that they know so much about you, they know exactly what kind of ads to shoot you, to you in Facebook or Google or something like that. Um, so the answer to the question as well is that the more you are aware that you are the product. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're using a service for free and it's providing some value to you, then presumably that value is being arbitraged and recouped some other way. Um, and, and that's, you know, what's, what's been going on for a long time. And it's, it's not obvious to most users, first of all, how important that is or what value it has. Um, and then, you know, to, to sort of flip it on its head you, and, and find a solution, you have to find a reason or a way to, to recoup that value through alternate means. And we'll get into that in just a second. So thanks again. So I think with the data privacy question, because it's such a large looming thing, and we know that uh, governments are trying to keep up and regulate so that Mm -hmm. um, there aren't as many breaches and there aren't as much data loss. Uh, One of the promises of blockchain technology, as I talk to companies in insure tech and fintech, is the uh, the concept of um, digital sovereignty, that I have control of my own destiny for the data I own as a digital persona. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was really interesting with what you and team are doing is you're trying to solve for it as well. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and, you know, we're amongst, obviously, a bunch of other people trying to, trying to work our way through how to um, develop kind of scalable ecosystems um, utilizing this kind of technology in ways that are economically viable. And that that's the interesting point, right? Because earlier I talked about how blockchain transformative, but it, we're not at a point where just anybody can develop a blockchain. I mean, it's not that difficult in a sense. But, or should. But, but it, yeah, or should, right? Not everything should be a blockchain solution. That's, I think, a lot of what we'll get into. Um, and, and really quickly, next week we're going to have Luis Kuka of ETC Labs and Brett Noyes of Unbank Ventures, and they're going to go into exactly what they look at in terms of investing in in uh, startups related to blockchain technology. So, um, having said that, your solution has a hardware and software component to it that's economical. So, what does that mean? When we started Ethernode, the initial project was to develop an open source blockchain operating system that could be freely distributed and would be easy to install and run on in a, in a variety of environments, um, including single board computers and you know local hardware partitions and, and EVM environments and so forth. And 
with that in mind, we our, our initial proposal was to the Ethereum Classic Cooperative to do it as a, a community funded project. Um, but you know that had some deficiencies in that you know it, it's always a challenge to to support and maintain open source software and to do so without you know some sort of a supporting cast of of you know viable revenue producing um, kind of products. So that ended up being the the approach that we've taken with Ethernode is is we we did de- develop this uh, this operating system and it's a, a fully open source Linux based operating system that's um, very easy for users to install in these different variety of environments and uh, with the click of a button host a node for um, Ethereum Classic Ethereum and a, a number of other you know, the test chains and related blockchains and. And once they have a local node running in that environment, then um, we built an SD, an SDK and an API on top of that to um, allow developers to develop apps that can run in this environment. And, and users can interact with blockchain then locally through their, their node on their own hardware rather than relying on you know, some third-party provider somewhere else for their blockchain interaction. And, and at the same time, take advantages of some network features that are are part of the network that aren't necessarily part of the blockchain part of the network. Thanks. And so we have a lot of listeners that are uh, both technical and not technical, developers and not developers. And so really the the story is that uh, we, we covered how blockchain is a buzzword and you either are in it and you think it's cryptocurrency, but you might be kind of like, what is this as a technology? And then, well, even though I know it is a technology, how do I get started? How do I dip my toe in it? Especially if, um, I haven't spent years so far really understanding it or learning the, how to develop in it. So Ethernode is a way to quickly dip your toe in it, get started as a developer, um, use the platform, and then uh, there's some benefits to the users as well. The goal for, for the developers initially is to, to bring them a suite of tools and um, you know connective point to the network where um, they can begin to develop with less of a um, just a transition period of of learning and and re-educating about core blockchain technology. Um, you know, we put together a fully documented SDK that's really designed to to give them um, you know a, a much higher starting point to begin developing applications on this. And from a user standpoint, it really is for um, a plug and play easy operation um hook it up spin up a node and then you know you can do there's a block explorer built in there's a wallet built in so you can manage all that stuff locally and and also run the applications from third-party developers so when we get back let's just walk through an example with that uh once again listening to silicon valley insider with keith Koo, join with aaron lowry founder and ceo of ethernode any questions or comments email us at info at svn.biz we'll be right back For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with the founder and CEO of Ethernode, Aaron Lowry. So for this week's cyber tip, it's going to be a cyber tip and also a plug for um, my help because this is such an important topic. Uh, It was discovered that millions of Facebook records were found 
out in the open in Amazon cloud servers. So we've done past shows that really talks about as many companies move to the quote-unquote cloud, so companies like Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure or Google Cloud, this is where you're using their computing services and their storage. And oftentimes, especially when it comes to a service like Amazon, and this is not to disparage them at all, you're literally moving your storage into an open field with no security or controls around that content or data. So in this particular case, we hear in the news, Facebook is under more and more scrutiny for different types of privacy violations. And so as Facebook is becoming more stringent, that's great. But what happens if you were a, what's called a third-party content provider, a third-party app, you have something where you were able to get sensitive information from Facebook by the arrangement you had with them. Uh, well, as they've gotten more stringent, have you as the third party really taken the time to understand that you are now in violation of privacy laws? So again, you, you may or may not blame Facebook. You may have a partnership with them, but you are solely responsible for the content that you're curating, even if you're taking that content from a Facebook or from a Google. And so the suggestion here is, if you're using cloud services for any reason, whether it's customer facing or for your own internal purposes, you're really just using an outsourced hard drive. And if you don't know the security precautions on that, it's it, I, I could go in and I could just take that content because it's just sitting out there in the open. So you need to get a service or a consultant or a friend who happens to know about security to understand what exposure you have. Then, if you are customer-facing, you really have to understand the data privacy laws that may apply to your business. And if you don't know that, you should consult with your attorney, your consultant, or in any case, you can always contact us. You can email us at info at svn.biz, and we can help direct you to the help you need to make sure that you stay out of trouble with regulators and other government entities. Um, this is actually very serious. And we know that in California, in 2020, there will be the California version of GDPR, a very stringent data privacy law. So just to sum it up, you are responsible for the data that you control. And if you're using a service, Facebook or any other cloud provider, you need to make sure that you are in compliance with all the laws and regulations. Either we can help you directly or we can refer you to the legal or privacy help that you need. This is just something that's gonna to continue to get more and more serious with more increased scrutiny. So once again, email us at info at svn.biz if you need help. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, I'm joined with Aaron Lowry, who's the founder and CEO of Ethernode. Hi, Aaron. Thanks, Keith. So early in the show, I had mentioned how 540 million Facebook users had their personal data sitting out in the open in Amazon Web Services or Amazon Cloud. Now, again, this is not about Amazon. This is about how the people that handle data, in this case, a third party that partnered with Facebook, probably at a time even before Facebook with the new scrutiny even had new policies, that data is generated that data sits out there somewhere, and in terms of these third parties, they put it out, what I usually say is an open field, um, out on the internet 
And people then come by years later and see, oh, wow, there's this 540 million Facebook users' data sitting out in the open. And this becomes important because more and more people are becoming aware of personal data. So Aaron is the CEO of Ethernode, a company that is built on top of a blockchain platform. But there's all these use cases, including IoT or Internet of Things use cases and data privacy use cases. And they're trying to develop their technology to address these things like having your user data sitting out in the clear amongst others. Is that fair, Aaron? Yeah. So back to what we talked about earlier, let's walk us through how in some of these examples, Ethernode would be working in action. So like in the, in the instance that you just described, all of, all of these users' data is getting you know, accumulated and, and it gets stored in a, a database and it's, it's you know, kind of, they tend to get distributed out amongst different partners and, and you know, oftentimes duplicated. And, and you know, at some point you end up with, with no visibility on where your data may even be or, or how it could atten- eventually be exposed or you know, who, who knows what's being done with it. And the sort of a, um, an optimal solution to that would be an environment where the data that you produce is maintained in, in a local database that's proprietary to yourself. And this gets back to the idea of data sovereignty and identification and, and privacy. And, you know, once, once you're able to actually develop a, an environment where you can, can maintain that data locally, then, you know, if you've achieved that, then you can begin to develop mechanisms where, where individuals can, can monetize that data personally with, with some control over it. Right. And, th- and that's where we're getting to is that not only do you want to own your data, there's all these groups or people that actually want to help you monetize your own data so you have control over that. So Ethernode is a software and a hardware solution versus you know some aspect when people think of blockchain, think of just software. Mm-hmm. How would that work? In, walk us through how we actually engage with the product. The Ethernode um, home hardware is a essentially a blockchain gateway. You install it in your home, plug it into power, plug it into Ethernet. Um, connect to it through your local area network, and and the interface is all uh, operated within a, a browser window, and um, it has a you know full UI, so it, it's um, very intuitive to interact with. Um, but it's also an environment where you can run third-party applications built by developers that runs natively on the platform, and and an application running in that environment then can. Um, you know, you have control over where all the data is going since it's running locally. The data all begins locally. And then if you need to do interactions outside, say with blockchains, for instance, you can do it through your own local node. Um, and that's all uh, managed through the, the API that's in the interface. Um, we're not we're not at the point um, of trying to address the issue of how to how to best, you know, m- build mechanisms for people to monetize that yet. Right. Um, we're more concerned. Our background is IoT systems, and um, you know, so we're building this hardware so that it's uh, it has mesh network capabilities. Currently, just with Wi-Fi. Um, in a future iteration, we'd like to include uh, 5G modems on these boards, uh, and, and um, this becomes a base in your home that you can start connecting uh, smart home devices to that are operating within a, a local network. That's all private and cryptographically secured and and where you're maintaining your data locally on these local running applications rather than having that data sent out to a central service provider um, 
where it ends up in their database and then eventually dispersed out through their partners. So then, you know, I'm thinking for like the Raspberry Pi crowd, they would probably be a good target for who would want to take this and try it out. Well, the, so yeah, so there's uh, a tremendous number of potential applications for this. And, and you know, we're not trying to, to build any fences on what those applications are. We're really about developing a platform where, where um, you know, given this environment that we're, we're trying to create this ecosystem, um, you know, people can build these applications natively in here um, really easily and distribute them and, and, and build them in such a way where the users can, can rely on either de- the developer's node for, for blockchain interaction or if they have one, their own personal node. Um, and really eliminate any dependence on on a third party. Um, the the software is all open source, so individuals who are capable and and interested are able to go in there and, and actually verify that you know everything between them and the chain is is clean and 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 ready to go. And it's you know they can build on top of it as well. So can they um, buy both the hardware and the service now? The hardware is going on presale uh, middle of April. Uh, we're looking to begin shipping units in May. And um, we're doing a cloud hosting solution for um, primarily to help uh, support developers and enterprise solutions who require um, a managed uh, node hosting solution where uh, you may have uh, dynamic balancing issues geog- geographically and, uh, and based on user load and, and things like that. Okay, so just to be clear, I can, in the middle of April, I can actually buy one of the units myself and, and host it. I run it on my own, but that if I needed the hosting service, that's available to me. Yeah, correct. That's, you know, if, if you're a developer and you're developing some application, for instance, right now in, in Ethereum, the majority of these applications uh, utilize the APIs at Infura for their, their blockchain interactions. And, you know, it's a, a relatively centralized solution to the problem. It's uh, certainly a, a trusted third party in the equation. Is it going to be available in the U.S. or globally? Globally. Okay. And, and they just go to your site and get it, and it'll be shipped? Yeah, we'll be selling them uh, retail online on the site, uh, available for purchase with uh, U.S. dollars, with your credit card, or Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic. Okay. And, and you know, it'd be really good to explain, because I don't know if, if everyone understands the difference between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. Yeah, you bet. So we've been, um, although we're supporting both networks, we've been primarily involved in the Ethereum Classic community um, in our time in blockchain and uh, the reasons for that are, are primarily philosophical. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, uh, there was originally just one Ethereum, and the Ethereum Classic blockchain are the the members of Ethereum who decided to reject the the hard fork proposal that bailed out the the DAO contract, and that hard fork resulted in what we now have as ETH, and uh, and then Ethereum Classic is is the continuation of the original chain. Right, and um. Just again, because blockchain is relatively a new concept to some, uh, Ethereum Classic, in, in essence, is a, a clone of Ethereum. It's the original Ethereum. In fact, you know, it, it, it is the original chain without the, the reversion to, to fork off pre-DAO contract and bail that out. So, and it adheres to more Bitcoin-like principles, capped monetary supply, Immutability, obviously, immutability becomes sort of an issue when when contending that that DAO fork. Okay, I mean it's a highly decentralized community. Yeah. It's very difficult to find social consensus and things like that. It's there's a lot of challenges in 
in this sort of environment. Yeah, and these are definitely topics we'll also cover with Liz and Brett next week when they talk from ETC Labs and um, Unbanked Ventures. So once again, you're listening to Keith Koo, who's joined with Aaron Lowry, CEO and founder of Ethernode. So any questions you may have, email us at info at svnupis, and we'll be back to close the show with Aaron. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 828 7846 That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today's show, I've been joined with the founder and CEO of Ethernode, Aaron Lowry. Hi, Aaron. Hey, Keith. And now for the final segment of our show, we get into the pivot. And the pivot is a segment that talks about twists and turns in people's careers and companies, but it really is meant to be inspirational because no matter what your background, especially here in Silicon Valley, you can always change. And Aaron's a great example of this. Earlier in the show, we talked about how Aaron had a a lot of diversity in what he did um, and then coming up into building race cars, working on vintage race cars with Adam Carolla. So let's talk a little bit more about that before we then go into some of the other uh, pivots that you're involved with. Sure. So, um, you know, like I mentioned, um, from uh, small business consulting there in 09, I, I jumped into the, the automotive industry uh, sort of full-time. You know, like I said previously, I'd done uh, an extensive amount of uh, automotive hobbying before and never done it as a career. So, um, yeah, I jumped into that and started building some of those cars and, and, and working with that, uh, that industry. It's a very interesting industry, the, the vintage automotive racing, um, uh, some exclusive personnel in it, a lot of really cool, um, mechanical, uh, beautiful automobiles and, you know, a lot of, uh, really, um, it's a lot of interesting dynamics because there's, there's nothing to win at the end of the day. Um, but we, we, we encountered all these people that, you know, we utilize these closed enclosed trailers to haul cars around all the time. And, um, a lot of these cars are, are basically irreplaceable because their real value is in their prominence from, from having raced, mm-hmm. you know, there's one of one that, that won this race back in 1967 or something. And, um, trailers are, are, difficult to track because they don't have ignition switches and, and a bunch of the things that you normally use to trigger, you know, movement and vehicles and stuff. So, or to wake them and sleep them usually for power consumption. So we developed a consumer tracking solution. Um, we were doing, um, ski and I, Maciej Novoselsky, my co-founder at, um, Ethernode. Uh, we've also worked together for the past seven years, building a geotelematics company, which we bootstrapped from ground up and, and did, you know, concurrently while I was building race cars and, and he was also employed full time, and so so building the race cars uh, led to the pivot of developing a telematics company, which then led to the pivot of Ethernode. Yeah, so I mean, geotelematics is a really interesting industry. You you have um, the hardware elements of it. You also have the the network infrastructure that you kind of have to constantly be um, complying with because mobile network providers are are changing you know technologies all the time and. Um, you know, that's, that's all what led us into, into blockchain in the first place. We were, um, uh, had just deployed the second iteration of our IOT back in to run that business and, and, um, really doing a lot of, uh, looking into you know, new technologies that we might want to try to implement, um, encountered blockchain, um, while also working on some, uh, multi-op mesh network, um, protocol stuff and, 
and um, really after doing an extensive amount of research on it and, and highly familiarizing ourselves with it, we, we recognize just a tremendous amount of potential uh, in the technology and also, you know, how, how new it was and, and some of the, um, the lacking infrastructure components that were really required to turn it into a robust network where you could even deploy um, something like a theft prevention recovery consumer device, um, you know, in a reliable way. Right. And so with that and the data provenance, how did that then jump into the blockchain space itself? Well, when we when we saw a need for network infrastructure, we started trying to figure out ways to solve it. Um, node hosting is a, a tremendous part of these networks. Um, you know, there are networks, public networks we're very familiar with. Um, the Internet is one of them and the most wisely, widely used. But, um, you know, these blockchain networks are networks with blockchains. And I think that's been um, been sort of maybe overlooked or people are trying to have been for a number of years now trying to develop ways to scale blockchain without having to scale that infrastructure right. um, for the network. And as a result, a lot of the um, very utilitarian features that are, are already there in the network are inaccessible to most of the blockchain users because they have no node. Um, they're not a peer in the network. They have no address. And if you're in a network, you have to have an address to be able to communicate with someone. So this really highlighted the, the, you know, the necessity for, you know, a, a proliferation of nodes that are distributed by owner and geographically and, and, um, and, these also serve to inherently help um, strengthen and, and you know, uh, bring a robust nature to the network. So with just the minute we have left, what is your prediction of where this is going? Where is this all heading? This all, um, hard to say. Like, there, that's a pretty broad-ranging question. Um, there's obviously a tremendous amount of potential in blockchain technology to help out with things like... Um, you know, financial services and stuff like that. And, and there's a lot of really brilliant people working on that stuff. Um, you know, we, we've focused our attention and efforts on infrastructure related components. And um, at the end of the day, the one of the underlying drives for us is trying to bring equal access to information to people around the world. Um, you know, these public decentralized um, censorship resistant permissionless networks are a very powerful thing. If you can connect people to them and give them access to, you know, uh, uncensored connectivity. Aaron, thanks for being on the show today. I wish you all the best for your pre-launch. If you have any questions or comments about how to reach Aaron and Ethernode, email us at info at svn.biz. And just a reminder that you can reach me as Keith Koo on LinkedIn or KeithKoo.sv on Facebook. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 